to be people who take seriously what your word says and seek to apply it in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no doubt about it that Australia is an affluent country. Uh, By any measure, Australia keeps ranking in as being one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And it's not hard to see all of the signs of affluence around us. Things like car ownership, mobile phone ownership, computers, they're all indicators of just how wealthy we are in this country. Uh, One really clear indication of our affluence is the size of houses in Australia. Uh, Back in the 1960s, the average house size in Australia was 3.5 people. Uh, By 1985, that had actually dropped down to three people per household on average. And today, the statistic is somewhere around 2.6, 2.5 people. So the number of people living in our houses is declining. Smaller numbers living in the house. But the size of our houses has been growing. Back at the 1960s, beginning of the 1960s, the average house size was 115 square metres. By 1985, that had risen to 159 square metres. And today, well, the best statistics that we've got tell us that houses are around about 245 square metres. So our houses have more than doubled in size, but we have less people living in our houses. And the really sad thing is, we're not any happier. In fact, we seem to be less happy with the more that we actually have. Uh, There was a Queensland academic, and I know that that might sound like an oxymoron, but apparently it's true. He wrote a book on this topic, and it was called Affluenza, When Too Much Is Never Enough, and focusing on Australians and our dissatisfaction with our growing affluence that it's not making us any happier. He did a survey, uh, surveyed quite a few over a thousand people to ask an answer to this question. One simple question, you can't afford to buy everything you really need. Just wanted a true or false, whether or not people actually agreed with that. And 62% of Australians believed that that was true. 62% of us in one of the wealthiest countries in the world 62% of us say that you can't afford to buy everything that you really need. Not want, need. It's rather staggering, isn't it? Half of the world's population lives on less than $3 a day, but 62% of Australians believe that we haven't got quite enough yet. Now, I say all of this because money is what stands at the very heart of the passage that we're looking at today. We looked at money last week and we tried to get a bit of a general overview of what the Bible said and we focused in on the story of the rich young ruler. Well, today we're going to focus in on that story of the rich fool, the parable that Jesus told, and then look at what Jesus goes on to say after that about money. Uh, This is an issue that we clearly need to think about, especially when 62% of us think we don't have enough to buy all that we actually need. Uh, That's something where we do need to be challenged by what the Bible has to say. Now, if you've got your Bible there, the parable starts in verse 13, and it says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, it sounds a little bit strange that you'd ask Jesus to help with that, but it wouldn't have been uncommon back in those days for a rabbi to become involved in a family dispute, for them to be able to help sort out some family issues. 
But in this instance, Jesus actually declines the offer to be involved, but he does use it as an opportunity to go on and make some more general comments about money. Now, the key verse in all of this is verse number 15. So have a look what it says. Then he said to them, that's Jesus said to them, and that's the crowd that are standing around, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard against greed. Your life is not made up of your possessions. And then he goes on to tell a story that illustrates that point. But but could you please note what he actually says in verse 16? At the very, very beginning of the parable, it says this. There was a rich man. This guy was already rich before any of this happened in the parable. He was rich to begin with. We're told that he has a good crop. In fact, it's such a good crop that it's not going to fit into his barns. He's got more grain than he knows what to do with. So the logical thing is to build bigger barns. If you were to grab a copy of the Farmer's Journal magazine, this guy probably would have been the cover story. I mean, he's had such a successful year. He's doing so well that he's had to build bigger barns just to store the goods that he has. But then the twist comes in verse number 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? God says that this man is a fool. I bet that's not what his neighbours thought. I bet his neighbours thought that he was a huge success. I mean, he had to build bigger barns, for goodness sake. Things were going that well for him. He had such a good crop. But God says that he's a fool. And he's a fool for three reasons. First of all, he's a fool because he thinks that life equals possessions. And that's exactly what we hear in the parable, isn't it? Look at what it says in verse number 18. Following the bumper crop, what does he actually say? Then he said this, and this is the rich man, the farmer who's saying this. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself... You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. He almost sounds Australian, doesn't he? I mean, that's the way that we think in this country, isn't it? That's the goal that everyone has, to be able to kick back and just take life easy, to have enough stuff stored away that I actually don't have to do anything. I can actually just enjoy it for the rest of my life. And we have to make sure that we don't fall into that trap of thinking that life is about possessions. Because I think we regularly do fall into that trap. We'll regularly make an assessment about people based on the possessions that they have, the car that they drive, the house that they live in, the suburb that they live in. And we can think that people will view us by our possessions, by the watch that we wear or the clothes that we wear or our home or our furniture. There was an ad that Seiko was showing in shops for uh, quite a while, uh, and this is the ad. It's not your jeans, it's not your perfume, it's not your laugh, it's your watch that says the most about who you are. 
It's not your driving, it's not your neighbourhood, it's not your DVD, it's your what. Did you know that? Your watch says the most about who you are. You're going to feel self-conscious now when you go over the hall, aren't you? Because I, I thought my watch told me what time it was, but apparently it tells me a lot more than that. It's interesting, isn't it, that we, it, we live in a world where we're encouraged to think that your possessions are what life is all about and the accumulation of possessions is where we ought to be heading. But the sad thing is, it leads to dissatisfaction because you're not happy with what you've got and you want something better than that. You want bigger things, more things. See, it's what Jesus said right at the very beginning. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. But he's a fool for another reason. He's a fool because he thinks that life equals now. And it's easy to fall into this trap of thinking that life is this, what we have around us now, and that there is nothing beyond this. You only need to turn on your television ads to see the televisions to see this. Uh, endless superannuation ads telling you to plan for your future, but by future they mean just your retirement, what you're going to do when your working life comes to an end. More money will make you happier. You'll be more content. You know that one, compare the pair where two people are sitting together and if you have more money, well, you'll clearly be much happier than the poor sap sitting next to you who will have far less money than you in your retirement. But did you notice that's exactly what the farmer in the parable did? He wanted to put aside many things so that he'd be able to kick back, enjoy life and eat, drink and be merry. Well, God says that he is a fool. He hadn't thought really about his future. Not his real future anyway. But there's, there's a final reason that, uh, that he's a fool, and that's this. He's a fool because he thinks that life equals me. Have a look at verse number 18. I'm going to read it. I'm going to emphasise a couple of words in there for you. Verses 18 and 19. Then he said, that is the rich farmer, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my grain and my goods and I'll say to myself, you have many good things laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Here's a man who thinks that life is all about him. Even in that cartoon, it kind of conveys that, doesn't it? See, he has all of this wealth, but it's not wealth for sharing, it's not wealth for helping people with, It's just wealth for him to accumulate and for him to enjoy by himself. And it's not just that there's no mention of anyone else in the parable, family or friends. There's no mention of God. There's no place for God in this man's life. He couldn't see beyond himself. He couldn't see that there is a God who made him. He couldn't see that there is a God to whom he will be answerable. I mean, he is, quite literally speaking, a godless man living a godless life. But again, I bet his neighbours wouldn't have thought that when they looked at him. My guess is they would have thought he was a great success. Someone to be admired and respected and emulated. But look at the summary right down the bottom at the end of the parable. Jesus says this in verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. He was rich, but he wasn't rich towards God. 
In the end, he was rich with things that didn't matter and don't last. But he wasn't rich with the things that matter for all eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like this, I mean, it leaves me with a couple of obvious questions. First question is, then, how should I view my possessions? I mean, if a fool views his possessions the way that this man does, how should I, as a follower of Jesus, view my possessions? And the next question is, how should I view my future? If that's how a fool views his future, how should I view my future? Well, fortunately, Jesus goes on to actually answer both of those questions for us. So if you've got your Bible, starting at verse number 22, where our Bible reading came from this morning, Jesus goes on to say a couple of things that answer those questions for us. The first thing that Jesus says is that life is more than food and clothes. Jesus goes on to say this, verse 22, it's up on the screen or you can look, follow it in your Bible. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Every time I hear that verse, I think, well, I don't worry about those things. I don't worry about food or clothes, do I? I bet if we were to drop an alien into Darling Street and just get them to walk from the corner here up to the fire station, I reckon they would get the impression that the only thing that we worry about in our world is food and clothing. Because they're the only shops that you'll see along Darling Street. I mean, it's almost as if that's the only thing that we're ever concerned about, what we will eat, what we will drink, or what we will wear. Jesus makes a couple of helpful observations in here. He says that the birds and the flowers, they don't need to worry. Did you know that the birds don't need to build bigger barns like the farmer? And the plants of the field, well, they look pretty stunning without any effort at all, don't they? And ultimately what Jesus is saying is that we need to make sure that we live a life that's lived in dependence upon God not trusting the things that we have. Now, please don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying don't work, don't buy food or don't buy clothes. What he's saying is don't make the mistake of thinking that that's what life is all about. They shouldn't be your highest priority. Verse 31 tells you what your highest priority should be. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well it is a question of your priorities it is a question of what you think is most important in life if you make food or clothing or possessions your priority in life if that is the focus of your attention then you're going to live a stressful life and you will be one of that 62 percent who believe that you don't really have everything that you really need If you think that your security and your significance is found in accumulating your possessions, Jesus says you are wrong, dead wrong. Your security and your significance are found in your relationship with God through Jesus. And that's the thing that can make you richer than anything that you can accumulate in this life. We need to make sure that your priority is that. Your relationship with God. And what Jesus means when he says, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all those things will be added to you as well. I think what Jesus is saying is that other stuff will sort itself out. Food, clothing, what you drink. 
If you make God's kingdom and your relationship with God your priority, everything else will kind of sort itself out. And how should I view my future? Well, I think verse 40 is the verse to look at here, where Jesus says this. You must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And you saw that in the parable as well, didn't you? He thought he was going to be set for years to come. But he didn't know when his life was going to end. And what Jesus says is that the day will come when Jesus does return. And don't make the mistake of thinking that this is all there is to life. There is an eternity that stretches beyond this life. But in the end, I think the point that Jesus wants to make is the one that's found in verse number 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I figured out a really good test for this. And the test is this, because I noticed it when we had some people over for dinner one night. What's the thing that you get passionate about in a dinner party conversation? What's the thing that you get most excited about? Because, see, that's going to tell you where your heart is. Uh, we were sitting at a dinner party, and, and the hot topic of conversation was Sydney real estate prices. That was what everyone wanted to really get involved in and how much they've gone up and how much they've made out of their properties. That was the conversation that told us where our hearts were. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as people who trust in Jesus, we need to be convinced about where our treasure is. We need to value what matters most. We need to fix our sights on those things. And the most important things in this life are not the watch that you wear or the car that you drive or the lounge that you have or the television that you have or the kitchen that you have or the house that you have. The most important thing in this life is knowing God through Jesus, being part of that kingdom. And if we value that above all else, then all that other stuff will sort itself out. Cars, kitchens, watches, lounges, houses, you'll have them, but they won't be your priority. Because your priority will be seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, and God will add all that other stuff to us as well. We join with me in pray. Our Father, we do want to thank you for the remarkable privilege that we have of living in this wealthy country. But Father, help us to recognise that that is also a great responsibility that we have, to not be fools with the things that have been entrusted to us, but to know that we are truly blessed living here. We pray.